Welcome to Allegedly Guilty, our new true crime channel where we discuss current cases from our perspective as retired law enforcement officers now working on the criminal defense side. We're your hosts. I'm Angela Ng, and with me is Joe Murray. Joe and I are both retired NYPD police officers, and we now work together at Joe Murray's law firm. So I'm kind of excited about this uh, show we got going tonight. Yes. We're going to be talking about Alec Baldwin and his many public statements. So one of the things I just want to ask, you're all true crime fans. I'm sure you've seen it. The most important one, I believe, is the one he had with George Stephanopoulos. So just give me a chat. Give me a one in the chat if you've seen that one, because we're really going to work on that one. What I want to do is I want to talk about, you know, me as a criminal defense attorney. If I was handling a client like this, because there's a lot of issues that just jump out at me, like client control. I mean, you can't allow your client to run around making statements. Being, he, he, the first one, right? They pulled their cars over and he started making statements in the middle of the roadway. Then he now does this thing with George Stephanopoulos, I'm sure was with his attorney's advice and consent, but I, I, I thought that. it was disastrous. It was absolutely disastrous. If he was your client, would you let him talk? Absolutely not. I mean, that's what I want to talk about. I mean, because, uh, okay, I see a lot of ones. Ruth Ann Griffin, one. Aunt BB, one, 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 one. Dawn Murray, great to see you. Diane B, Misty Kate, I see a bunch of uh, our regulars here. And then I have uh, Cammie Burkett. Nope. <laughs> I agree with that. So. All right, let's. Bring out our first guest. Yeah. Our first guest is a retired NYPD detective sergeant, Manhattan North Homicide. You've seen him on Police the Off the Cuff, the host of Police Off the Cuff, Bill Cannon. Hello, hey guys. Bill. Great to be here tonight. It's uh, I mean, Joe's been a guest so many time on uh, times on my show that it feels like he was <laughs> almost a regular. No, so it's uh, it's great to return the favor and come on your show. So listen, we, we need to uh, ring the bell. I understand you hit a new landmark with your subscribers. Yeah, yeah I, I hate to say it because we're at 23,901, but you could lose 20 and go back to 23,880, you know? Uh, so uh, screw that. my next Over. goal is 24,000. I'm 100 away, uh, 99 away from 24,000. So That's we're looking to do that. Well, thank you. Congratulations. I'm working hard at it, you know. Yes, you certainly are with that coffee with Cannon, or is it bitching with Bill, or what? what uh, coffee with Cannon, but some people call it bitching with Bill or backyard beverage. They come up with a new name every day, you know. I love it, and yeah, you know, you're—it's pretty exciting. You're, you're going to have Andy the Gabby Cabby on your show. I'm, isn't, I'm isn't that great? It's so great. Like you know, there's so many people that I haven't met in real life, but I've met on the screen doing the yeah. show. And I've, I've never met Tommy Dades. Tommy Dades has been on the show about 10 times, but I've never met him in real life, you know? Yeah, but I feel like we're buddies. I feel like we're, we're friends, you know? Absolutely. You, you guys, you get along so well. Like, you know, it's so smooth. You have good chemistry on your show with him. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited about that. I love that we get to meet people from all over the world, this whole true crime community. Steve Keogh was a great, great guest that you had. I love that guy. Oh, uh, Scotland Yard. Yeah. It was, it was, oh, yeah. You know, and Joe, you got to start working on your accents. I know. You, know, yes. you got to do your English accents, your Irish accents. Yep. I mean, mine are bad, but I try. <laughs> That's great. Well, duty runs running late, so should we just? 
Yeah, Duty Ron was supposed to come on. Uh, I know he worked today, so he's thank God he's giving us his his time. But uh, I think he's got a little bit of uh, something to do first. So, Bill, if you don't mind, we were just gonna start off with a little interview. The most recent public statements of our friend Alec Baldwin. I'm gonna click on this, and I'm gonna click on that, and. I asked you to go away. Please go away. Have a photograph under somebody's private uh, home. This is not. This is not anyone's private home. Are you? This is not any. This, this is public property. Go away. Stop Who's it. here? Did you really not pull the trigger? Come, 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 come. Do you believe it went off without you pulling the trigger? Was it a malfunction? That's our guy. <laughs> so. Um. Go where do I go? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Duty Ron's here. Let me introduce him. Oh, great. Retired NYPD detective. Duty Ron. Duty Ron. The Fashionably man. late. He's such a superstar. He goes by one name. <laughs> He's like Cher and Prince. You know. Elvis. Sh no, Sade. <laughs> Better late than never. Thank you for inviting me, uh, Joe, and his better half, Ange. Thank you. Well, thanks for being here. Just to catch you up, we just started. We're talking about, you know, obviously uh, Alec Baldwin. And one of the things that I mentioned is just I wanted to give a little more of, like from our side, the criminal defense side, if you're representing a client, one of the most basic things that you must do and must establish is client control. Because this guy could really hurt himself even more than he is now, but he can really hurt himself if you don't get a hold of him, put the reins on him, and tell him what he should and shouldn't do. So we played this most recent video. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, yeah, where he was approached going into this uh, apartment building. So, you know, l let me just lead off with that. I mean, as a criminal defense attorney, when you have somebody on a high-profile case like this, you have to stress to your client how important it is, especially somebody who's a celebrity. They know this. They're being watched from everywhere, every angle. They go to the bathroom. They go to the restaurant. It doesn't matter. Whatever they do. And there are professional agitators out there that will try to incite him now more than ever. And he's had outbursts in the past. Where but he's, he's easy he's, for that. Yes, he's, he's done this, and he's attacked people. And his ego gets in the way, but now more than ever, his you know his future is at stake here. I I think after watching everything that's happened, and we'll go there, and I'll, I'll share with you guys, um, and I want to hear your opinions. I think a prosecution is essentially inevitable now because of what he did. Joe, I hope that no one calls him Fredo. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all be over. He may forget. You know, Duty Ron, I want to ask you, what is your opinion after seeing all these? First of all, he, he pulls over in, in Vermont on the road, gets out, and does an impromptu interview where he lies essentially and says, Oh, I was ordered not to discuss this, right. you know, and then gives his own version of facts. Then he does this George Stephanopoulos and now this outburst. What do you think? Well, Joe, I. You know, again, I haven't covered this case uh, extensively, but I did do a little bit of looking into it today. 
Um, I feel that all of his actions are just hurting him going forward. And if you look at the Santa Fe uh, prosecutor, her name is, um, uh, I had it written down here, Mary Carmack Altoes, whatever. She made a statement shortly after the Stepanopolis, as Bill calls it, the Stephanopoulos. No, Snuffleupagus. She made a statement that, you know, nobody's safe from criminality, culpable for his or her actions. And that was a statement that the district attorney in Santa Fe made. Uh, so uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, they're not, they haven't given up on potential prosecution in this case. And, you know, he's digging his own grave, so to speak, with his, with his lack of empathy, his lack of acknowledgement. Listen, if he was to man up and say, I made a mistake and I shot this poor woman, don't forget, we have a, a cinematographer, H Helena Hutchinson, a mother who's now dead. And he is not even saying that he has any remorse or feels sorry for his actions. I personally, uh, you know, you, you have a gun in your hand, you got to pull the trigger to have that thing go off. And he went on national television and said, I didn't pull the trigger. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's ridiculous. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm mortified for the family. Uh, first and foremost, uh, she's a mother. I feel so sorry for her children, her, so her husband, uh, her fa all of her extended family. And this guy is just discounting everything in, in, right. in typical, if I could say it, in typical scum fashion. He's a real scumbag. I mean, I use my. I mean, he could feel it's, guilt without admitting guilt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if the whole purpose of going on TV and doing this is to give your side, you're trying to sway public opinion. You don't sway public opinion by pointing at everyone else. And then showing no remorse for the harm you caused. And make no mistake about it, that bullet was fired from the gun because of him, you know, whether he, he pulled the trigger or he dropped the hammer. That's what caused that projectile to take off out of that gun. So I don't care what he says. He caused this. This and interview. to show no remorse. And let me just say one other thing. I'm sorry for cutting you off. I do it all the time. That's and people keep yelling at me for that. So. Uh, poor Andrew. So, but honestly, I mean, one of the big factors in a prosecution is the victim. They'll go to the victim and talk to the victim. How do you feel about this? Are you going to be comfortable testifying? It's so invasive. It's so highly publicized that they'll have an impact. It's not a final decision, but they'll have an impact. If I am her family watching this interview, I, I am outraged, outraged. You know, Joe, everyone else, including just, her, yeah. including Helena. So I, I think there was a horrible, horrible act. Go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. Joe, I just wanted to say that I think that the whole interview was rehearsed. It was choreographed. They even got the guy David Halls um, to say later on that he he saw Alec pull the trigger. That is so easy to refute. Just where were you standing? What was the lighting in well, that he, room? He didn't say he saw him pull the trigger. He saw his finger on the trigger guard. That's yeah. I'm sorry. He, he saw right. He, he saw him not pull the trigger. He saw right. so. I mean, that is really from with the lighting in that room. Unless you were in the perfect position. That would be virtually impossible to see. Yeah. So I think that the, the attorneys for both of them got together and, and 
made a deal. Let's both say this and let's you know put what? it out there. They're looking to blame Gutierrez Reed, the armorer. Oh. They're looking to stick everything on her. And Alec Baldwin, we proved it scientifically with John Pellucci, the crime scene expert, ballistic expert. We did a demonstration. We proved it scientifically that that gun could not have gone off unless he pulled the trigger. So let me just uh, throw this at you. I started off with client control. As a defense attorney, the first thing, the first thing I'm going to deal with is client control. Now, you have to be united in your opinion and view of the case. That's why, I mean, there's 190,000 lawyers in New York State. You can pick anyone you want. You want someone that's going in your direction. I went through this with my case. One of the attorneys I had initially did not want me to testify at the grand jury. I was like, no, absolutely not. I'm going to the grand jury. Your route got someone else to, to represent me to go in. So I understand the client's interest. You have to find somebody that you have a good chemistry with, but that you have faith in and trust their you know, expert opinion. You can't hire a lawyer to make up your own rules. So that's why I got rid of that guy. I didn't want to follow that strategy. I found someone that wanted to follow my strategy. If, if any lawyer allowed him to make this interview knowingly and, and intelligently, like you say, they scripted it and they planned this, I think it, they should be disbarred. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And we'll go into the specific admissions. He made so many admissions. Yeah. He admitted to pointing the gun at her and knowingly because she's directing him, go left, go right, or cheated forward. He knew and says it on the video. I was, he said, were you pointing it right at the camera? He says, no, he corrects himself. He says, no, I, I was pointing it at her. Yeah, Joe, uh, let no. me ask you as a defense, a criminal defense attorney, I, I mean, if he has to defend his client, how good of a leg does he have to stand on? That's a question I think that your chatters would probably want to know from you. Uh, does Alec Baldwin stand a chance if the uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico district attorney decides to bring, uh, you know, uh, charges forward? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I, I, I agree. I think he does, but he has to follow the plan. He's got to follow the strategy, our legal defense theory. You have to follow it. And right now he's not. He's going in different directions, making admissions all over the place. Remember that each defendant has the presumption of innocence and the burden. All the defendant needs to do is say, I'm not guilty. Right. That's it. You don't need to say anything. The burden of proving every el everything else is on the prosecutor. Right. So, for example, when he says on this interview, I pulled back the hammer and I pulled it almost all the way back to where it was cocked and I let it go, that's an intentional act. Mm. He did that intentionally. Now, if he didn't say that, the prosecutor would have to prove it through eyewitnesses who would come in and the jury would weigh their credibility and stuff like that. He made the admission. Right. He admitted it. Joe, you know, what I want, you know what also is a big thing is, is what the statement he gave that night to the police. That is the most believable statement because yeah. as he meets with attorneys, as he starts thinking about what he said, he starts to change up. But mm -hmm. that statement is written in stone. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like Moses tablets. You know what I mean? Yeah. I agree. I got a feeling that there wasn't much in that statement that because of the trauma of the whole thing, 
he said, I'm going to call my lawyer and I'm going to talk to you through my lawyer. I'm not going to. That's my opinion. As investigators, we go for that first statement. That is when you get the most truth. And that, you know, Bill and I have conducted, you know, hundreds, arguably thousands of interviews. And it, that's when you get the statement. Um, it, it, that first initial statement is the most important. I agree. That's the most important. But a guy like Al Bol Alec Bolin, I don't see it. I don't see him making a statement up front. Uh, but you know, I Joe, I had said early on in the investigation the proper way to do that uh, in those interviews. They had sixteen people inside that that house. Separate. Was to separate all sixteen of them, interview all of them as quickly as possible, have the detectives meet together and go over inconsistencies, and then challenge the inconsistencies by the three main players with the other witnesses and then see if they come around, start telling the truth when they're confronted with the truth from uh, uh, 14 other people, uh, 13 other people. It's always ideal to get that immediate statement before they start talking, collaborating. Oh, I heard this. I heard that. Now they start fading between what they saw and remember and what they heard from someone else, and they, they start melding and meshing it. So you're absolutely right. The importance of getting that statement and separating, right? That's what we always do. We separate uh, the principles so they don't talk to each other. You do the best you can because obviously you can't compel them. They're witnesses. You can't force them. If someone says, look, I, I have to go pick up my kids or whatever, they're gone. You know, you, you can't force them. So, but you're right. That is the best way to do it. I just kind of think that, you know, knowing Baldwin, as opposed to the Ahmaud Aubrey case, where Travis McMichael, after the shooting with his father, they were there and made statements immediately. He had the body camera, you know, and, and then during the trial, he's saying, this was the most traumatic event in my life. And I made this statement, this 40-something page uh, statement about what happened within two hours of that. And he says there were inconsistencies and things I left out. You know, so it, I, I get it. Somebody like Baldwin, though, I don't think he's a stupid man. I think he would know better. Uh, he's been in trouble before that he would just say, look, you know, I, I – I just killed her or, or I, you know, I just found out that, that she's, you know, dead and I, I, I just can't deal with this right now. I need a lawyer. I'm sure he made some statements, but I don't think he made, you know, he gave a full statement. That's my opinion anyway. Hey, I wanted to quickly say, I know you guys haven't done it yet, but I wanted to say hello to everybody in the chat. Um, I see my good friend and co-host Ed Wallace is hanging out, who is also a crime scene expert. I mean, he could rock and roll and uh, talk about this to the break of dawn, probably. But so, hello to everybody that's joining and saying hello. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. We got 84 people there. We started well, out. Look at that. We that's were talking to Bill. That's because Duty Ron came in. Duty Ron came in with his new haircut. We like that. This is entourage. We said we were talking with Bill. Like, Bill, we got four people in the chat. You know, <laughs> when we start this thing, it's going to be. We got a little nervous. The echoes coming I, out. I of shared it. I shared it on uh, public uh, on my public post. So I that's it. it. That's I it. It's going. It's going. It's going viral now. You know, I really wanted to. You know, initially to have you, Bill and Phil, and Duty Ron and Ed, and I was like, wait a minute, there is no way I'm going to be in uh, a conversation with four detectives. 
and just two cops, you know? <laughs> you guys we got to even the odds here a little bit. Two from the squad, two from patrol. You know, D Duty Ron, that's why when I came in, he was hitting the heavy bag. He thought, <laughs> he thought, he thought we were going to attack him, you know? <laughs> so, do so you want to go to the, the video? I just wanted to... You know what? You know what I do as a criminal defense attorney, like in a case like this, the first thing I would do is, could you do the statutes? Could you bring that up? Or do oh, I have to do documents. it? The documents. Yeah. You know what you do in a criminal case when you first start? So I have to find it now. Is this okay. it? Oh. Okay. So this will scroll it. Oh, good. Okay. So the first thing that you do is it seems counterintuitive, you go to the jury instruction. What is the judge going to tell the jury they will need in order to find a conviction? So the first thing I looked at, I said, let's take the easiest charge. Because when you're, you're making a charging decision, you have to see like what your burden is and how hard it'll be to prove it. This is the first charge that I found, negligent use of a deadly weapon. And now this is what the judge would actually read to the jury. For you to find the defendant guilty of negligent use of a deadly weapon, and then they, you know, put the charge count number or whatever, the state must prove to your satisfaction beyond a reasonable doubt each of the following elements. Now here, this is element one, but there's several different selections. So they would select this one, the defendant, endangered the safety of another by handling or using a deadly weapon, in this case a firearm, so these are both appropriate, but we use a firearm, in a negligent manner. I say yes to it right away. Yeah, let's just start there. That's a ground Did wall. he use that in a negligent manner? He's got a real firearm. Now, don't forget, he admitted during that interview, and we're gonna, you're going to hear me use that A word a lot, he admitted during that interview that he had a course, a, a training session with the armorer for about an hour and a half, an hour and a half. And she taught him about the gun, taught him like the recoil, like he mentions this during the hearing. So he knows he's using a real gun. And she talked to him about the, the different charges that are going to be in there you know, a blank round or something without a projectile, you're going to have to enact the recoil, you know? So, so there's that first admission. Now, then we go to the second one. The defendant was not a peace officer, police officer. We wouldn't even have to, to bother with that. And then three, this happened in New Mexico on or about the 12th day of October, 2021. I mean, that's, I mean, what, I mean, this is the easiest charge to start with. Right. So then going back to here where they have the footnote four. If this alternative is used, the definition of criminal negligence is given immediately after this instruction. So I don't want you to be misled because I had to do a little research to go through this. It's not just simple negligence. It was originally simple negligence in the, the statute. But because of there's a couple of cases that came down interpreting it. I went through the whole thing. They originally said, we hold that this is ordinary negligence and it's sufficient. That was reversed by a subsequent case. They said, no, you can't use ordinary negligence. It has to be criminal negligence, which is a little higher of a burden. It's reckless. So 
that to me is the first statute. Now, this is a misdemeanor. I mean, I arguably could say that I don't think he intended to shoot anybody that day. And that's where the criminal part would come in. And I don't think that they could prove that he intended to shoot and kill uh, this woman and uh, injure the producer. But he definitely was reckless. There's no question about that. In yeah, my, I, I think it's my, a home run for recklessness. And you're right. He wasn't intending and he's not charged with intending that it was negligent. It was a negligent act. So this is well, going to come well, into play we, now. Well, are we going to get billed for this uh, research that he's doing? Is he somehow going <laughs> to uh, charge us for this? I don't know. But you're going to love how this all falls into play. Now, don't forget, this is a misdemeanor. Right. A misdemeanor. Now we go to the moneymaker here, the manslaughter. Manslaughter is the unlawful killing of a human being without malice. That means you're not intentionally doing it. And we have voluntary manslaughter and involuntary. The relevant section here is B. Involuntary manslaughter consists of manslaughter committed in the commission of an unlawful act. Now, not amounting to a felony. That's why this section is important. This first statute, negligent use of a deadly weapon, is a misdemeanor. So that fits here because manslaughter committed in the commission of an unlawful act not amounting to a felony. So if you're committing a misdemeanor, and that's what we have here, if you're committing a misdemeanor in this neglig negligent use of a deadly weapon, then you go on here, and it says in the commission of a lawful act, well, let, we're not going to go by that, uh, that might produce death in an unlawful manner or without due caution or circumspection. Honestly, he fits all these. He yeah. fits them all. Yeah. Even if you want to say using that firearm on a movie set was a lawful act, he did it without due caution or circumspection. So either way, if you say he's guilty of the misdemeanor, the negligent use of a deadly weapon, it fits. Or if you say he's not guilty of that, but he's he's guilty of uh, doing it in a manner or without due cause, uh, due caution of circumspection. So he's done, as far as I'm concerned, right here on inv involuntary manslaughter because he made so many admissions. My question, and Joe, and Joe, that's a D felony. Uh, well, I, they say fourth degree felony. We would yeah, say D felony. Degree, it, it's a little different than our system. I tried to look up their sentencing. It's a little complex, but it looks like eighteen months is the uh, for man's involuntary manslaughter. That would be the penalty. So but now Joe, I, I think the big thing on this though is that it's not that he, even if he got convicted, I don't think he would go to prison. I think that would support a gigantic. Uh, a reward in the civil case. Well, Bill, that's why I wanted to go with you because you taught criminal justice. Now, there's, there's those principles of law. Why do we punish? Why do we prosecute and why do we punish? You know, like the first is retribution. You know, you have a, a, a young child now without a mother. You know, you have, there's an imbalance in the law. He's got to pay his debt to society. You know, he caused this, uh, this wrong, this loss, and he has to pay for it. Then you have deterrence. Well, we punish because we want to show other people that if they engage in this conduct, they will be punished. 
You know, it kind of keeps people on their toes. Look what they did to Alec Baldwin. I don't want that to happen to me. So deterrence, right? What are the other factors? Well, there's, there's something called diversion where right. they can not, they can just cut a deal and not sentence you to any uh, jail time or any sanctions from the criminal justice, but they can make you go to classes. They can make you go to counseling. They can make you do things like that. That seems to be the trend to get away from decarceration to do something called diversion. But even this, that has a valid purpose because you're giving them the counseling, the treatment, whatever it is they need to try to make them a better person. Like that's that's the goal. At least it's it's for the purpose of we need a prosecution. You can't force anyone to go to diversion without the gun to their head, so to speak. You know, we're going to prosecute you. We'll give you the ability to go through this diversionary program. But the goal is really to better the person, you know, make them a better person. So, yeah, diversion is another. Any others? Well, there's something called incapacitation. Yes. That's, that's to put someone away so they can't hurt society. He doesn't qualify for that. He wouldn't because, you know, at his age, he's not. That goes for like three strikes people. You know, you know what? You commit enough crimes, we're putting you away. We're going to incapacitate you. And that actually falls into selective incapacitation, right? When you actually yep. mm -hmm. want to get this individual because they keep reoffending, you're putting them in. So the, the goals of prosecution are met in certain circumstances here. I think the biggest one is deterrence. We want to deter this from ever happening again. So we need to prosecute this. Hey, I want to read this before it goes away. Terry Dean said he even blamed the victim by stating that she told him to do it. Isn't that incredible? That's why I think this was so counterproductive because it was insulting to the decedent, the victim, insulting yeah. that she directed. He says that we had this, uh, um, this thing in common that we both felt that the gun was unloaded this guy's disgusting it really makes me sick to even think of think of him and look at him after all the statements that he's made it's an outrage to society to see someone who is an actor that kids or people adults look supposed to look up to this guy is um everything that uh you shouldn't be i feel and that's just my personal opinion i don't yeah. like him one bit i didn't like him before this uh, and now, with all of these actions and uh, the way he's conducting himself, he's a piece of garbage in my eyes. And I feel he should go to jail. Uh, and 18 months wouldn't be enough. Look at this family, the loss that they suffered. They're, they're going to look at this slap on the wrist that he's going to get. If I pulled that freaking trigger or Bill did, did or you did, we'd be shackled and hogtied and dragged into, into jail. Uh, he, this guy's running free now. What, what's what's the holdup for bringing charges forward? Either do it, shit, or get off the pot. That's how I feel. Like let's let's not drag this thing out. Um, but I'm just you know I'm just talking out of you know. No, we we value your opinion. Here's something else that you know I've talked about with other defense attorneys that have brought this up, and they're like, "What if it wasn't a white, rich?" Uh, movie actor that it was a black you know inner city kid or whatever that you know they were kind of doing the same thing you know just trying to do a uh, tiktok video or something you know what i mean like so w w what would the different approach be is it that he's privileged that he's getting all this deference he wasn't arrested he's 
He's still sitting there. They're making their charging decisions. Nobody's looking to put him in bail. Bill, you know, I mean, somebody who gets arrested for a homicide, I mean, how high is their bail? Well, you know, this is this special circumstances to this as much as, and I'm prejudiced by the fact that I, I do not like Alec Baldwin, you know, but having said that, I really do believe that this was an accident, but with some gross negligence involved that, uh, he of course didn't intend to kill her, but he made some, you know, recklessly or criminally negligent. That'll have to be determined. The firearm is a, is a huge thing. And, and one of the things I just want to clear up, I hear a lot of people in the chat calling this a prop gun. This was not a prop gun. This is a real functional 45 caliber single action revolver. Get the word prop out of your mind. Well, you know the, what? They had 500 rounds of ammo there too. A prop gun could be a real gun all the way up into to like a water gun. As long as pr the prop is short for property. So it's everything on that. Right, Angie, but they confuse it by using that term. It's confusing with some, oh, prop guns can be modified. This, And I want to clear the second thing up is that the first thing you do when you make an arrest for a gun, the first thing the ballistics uh, unit does on any police department is they do an operability test. And they first see, is the gun operable? They fire it. Then they see, is the gun functional? And was it altered in any way? So that has to be cleared up totally because that will be part of his defense. Oh, the gun malfunctioned. No, it didn't. We tested it the next day, and it works fine. On movie you know? sets, when there's accidental discharge, they take that gun, and you can't use it until the armorer checks it out. It's just like the department vehicles. When you have an, an accident... They take the car off the road until someone at fleet services looks at it. So, you know, all those accidental discharges the weeks before, the day before, those guns should have never even been on the set. No, but that's going to be the first thing an attorney is going to attack. Oh, this gun was not operable. This gun malfunctioned because that but, gives Alec an out. You know, you know? It, it was. it's terrible that because – uh, Gutierrez Reed is the armorer slash mass prop master or assistant prop master. You know what? With that many guns on the set, you have to just be the armorer. That's it. You can't deal with anything else except for the guns. But they didn't. They well, when I get into my and... when I get into my criminal defense mode because of the question you asked me, is there a defense here? That's one of them. That's the one good thing that came out of this interview where he says. In essence, it was the pattern in practice to either give the gun back to the armorer or give it back to Halls. And he said that they were in such close quarters, it was like a, as a, as needed basis to be there. So I imagine his story or theory is going to be that because Halls was there, he could return the gun to Halls or transfer the gun back and forth with Halls because he's performing another function there and it wasn't necessary for the armor to be in there. And don't forget, this was just like a, a rehearsal of some sort. It wasn't No, it was the a actual... marking rehearsal. The gun shouldn't even have been in the room. You yeah. know, if, I mean, they were getting, his finger. if they were getting a close-up of the trigger, you don't, uh, of the hammer, you don't need the gun, just his finger. That's I'm, I'm, I'm going to say two sentences and I want all three of you to tell me where you've heard it before. Do a uh, 
a physical and a visual inspection. <laughs> Where does that come from? Range. Ron 100% Rand. drilled into our head from day one. Yeah. Do a visual, right, and physical inspection of the gun and make sure it's empty. Correct. That was drilled into our head for t- as long as you were on the department. Why That's wasn't so it drilled true. into his head? So hmm. true. You know, and they talk about uh, redundance and uh, doing the safety checks. Uh, I heard other actors speak out about this, is that, you know, on all of these sets where there's uh, potential for a gun that's used in a situation like this, where you're checking it and rechecking it, the armorer gives it to you and says it's either hot or cold or whatever the terms are. uh, And then the actor, the onus is on him as well or her to check it. You know, and and I don't, I really don't feel that that was done. And there was also conversation that they were out back in this remote area, firing off on their downtime, having target practice. That's reckless, right there. Who does? Yeah. Who does? Ron, you, you hit it right on the head. Remember, during the interview, he actually says that live ammunition shouldn't have been on the property. Five hundred. Well, right. how is that possible when you're out in the yard shooting cans? Uh, you know. Uh, it's a little inconsistent, but I want to go to that section of the video. Just to, if you could do number one, my engineer over here, number one, is that this one? That's not, that would be that one. Okay. So let's start here. Just listen to what he says here about firing. And she'd say to you, you know, when we're done, point the gun down. When we're done, you give the gun to me or to halls, only those two people. Dave Halls was Rust's assistant director, also known as the first AD. Seen here in this IMDB photo, he was responsible for keeping the production on schedule. Sometimes we would be on a set that was a very, very cramped set, and they wanted people in that room on an as-needed basis. If I'm holding the gun and they say cut, I then hand the gun to Halls if she's not there. Yeah, why Halls, not Hanai? Some people have said that only the armorer should be handling it. No, 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 no. That's that's inaccurate, meaning in in, in the protocols of the business, meaning Hanai would hand me the gun 99% of the time, whatever, the the preponderance of the time. But when we would say cut, if Hanai was away from the set, I would hand Halls the gun. Yeah, so let's let's stop there. So, I mean, I believe, you know, you both have said it, that this was, you know, scripted, you know, instead of unscripted. This was the purpose of going on here. I can see the attorney playing a role in here saying, you got to get this out. People need to hear that it was the pattern in practice. It's the only thing that's going to save them. There's an industry standard. But the industry standard can be modified reasonably, reasonably, because of the circumstances you're dealing with. So in this case, they had that small building that they were in. They could only fit the 16 people. And you heard them say it was an as-needed basis. People that were in there on an as-needed basis. You know, Joe, one of the things is that whether you're on a movie set, whether you're on a desert island, whether you're in a crowded stadium, firearm safety is the same. So I don't give a damn if it was a movie set. Firearm safety doesn't change. And that's a firearm, all right? It's capable of firing a projectile. So whether you're on a movie set, I don't give a shit. You have to follow the same standards of firearm safety. you know. And you'll hear people say, oh, it was a movie set. These are the protocols. No, the movie set doesn't mean a damn thing. It's a firearm. Wherever you are, at, you have to follow the protocols of firearm safety. 
a gun is a gun is a gun. And yeah. no matter where it is, uh, no matter where you're, you're handling it, it is, has to be treated as such. And that obviously didn't happen on that fateful day. And we have two people, uh, one person shot and killed, and another person injured. Uh, and then countless other people who will be traumatized for the rest of their lives by this man's actions. He needs to, um, you know, he needs to pay, like Joe said, you know, there's a price that you have to pay. Uh, and I just can't believe that, you know, we're into December, coming up on December 21st, uh, uh, you know, coming up to Christmas time, and there's nothing. There's no movement. There's nothing on this case. This guy's chasing reporters around with an umbrella and threatening them, still, to this day, acting like a savage. I mean, it, I, it's shocking. It's shocking. And But, uh, you know, the the, uh, the DA said they may take to as late as the spring to come up with this uh yeah, but if you it know, was the completion I, so, of this investigation, you know, if it was you or I, we'd be held without bail. I mean, yeah. even with bail reform, we'd still be held without bail because we were yeah. former New York City cops. You know, so, uh, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is this has something to do with uh, his position. Uh, Hollywood elite. Uh, the, I don't know why the DA is not running on this. And I don't know. We don't have access to the case right file and all the evidence, but it's pretty much out there. I mean. It, this is pretty clear cut on what happened here. And there's many, many witnesses that are probably willing to come forward uh, for the prosecution uh, on that movie set. I don't think Alec Baldwin has many friends on that set. And he probably doesn't have many friends left in Hollywood, with the exception of Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, Duty Ron, Joel, Joel Souza, who was the director, yeah, he's well, not going to be friends with Alec Baldwin anymore because he took a 45 to the shoulder. Oh, and when, when he starts trying to use that shoulder... And he's reminded every single time that that bullet went through Halna Hutchins, through her body and into his shoulder, he's not going to be very forgiving towards Alec Baldwin. And all of a sudden, you know, he wants to make his life a little bit easier by parting with some of Alec Baldwin's money. Joe, don't worry. No, Tomorrow, he tomorrow night I won't bring the gun. Tomorrow night I won't bring the gun. <laughs> he says in the video that, you know, he was directed to to pull the gun back after the shot because there is no recoil from um, yeah. a dummy round. But when he fired that shot, he should have known he shot her. And he was like, oh, you know, what happened? Did she faint? What's going oh, on? That, that is total nonsense. <laughs> of course, he, a forty-five caliber has a kick that really it, it forces your arm up like that. So he knew when that went off, that was a live round. Well, Bill, I'm glad you brought that up because – just just for the sake of the audience, just so they understand, he's saying Hall's confirmed that his finger was not on the trigger. So that finger was removed from possibly gripping the gun. It was on the trigger guard, right? Then he says he was pulling back the hammer. See what happens with my hand when I do that? I'm pulling back the hammer. I'm opening my hand. So I'm I'm taking these two fingers out of the ability to grip that gun. When you really grip a firearm and you have your finger on the trigger, this thumb is across the other side on a revolver anyway, not an automatic. But this thumb is across the side and the finger is on the trigger. That you're gripping that gun. But if you have the finger on the trigger guard and you're pulling back the hammer, you're opening your hand, and you only have three fingers left to grip that forty-five caliber pistol. So yeah. for him to say, I didn't know I shot her, Bullshit. is ridiculous, because that gun probably fell out of his hand. 
I honestly do believe that he he didn't intend to kill her. Like he didn't know there was a live round in there. So he probably wasn't gripping it as if it was a live round. So with only three fingers holding that, I bet you he dropped that gun. You know, but to say I didn't know, I thought she fainted. fainted. And he said and he stood over her for a minute. It still yeah. didn't occur to him that she was she was not <clears throat> bleeding profusely from from her wound. Yeah. I'll tell you a problem I have with what he said. He thought she fainted. You know, it, it's almost as if, you know, if, if he didn't drop that gun, maybe he was expecting that charge. Maybe he thought it was a blank and there was a wad that shot. He did mention that during the video. He said, well, sometimes there's a wadding that'll come out and poke you. Right. So well, why would you say that if you thought the gun was cold and it was empty? You know, I mean, I've seen quite a few uh, crime scenes with uh, perpetrators that shot other perpetrators or victims of being shot with shotguns, 45s, nine millimeters, you know, 30 to every kind of caliber. But you, when you're on a scene, Bill, you, you probably have seen this many a times. Someone shot with a 45, you know, they've been shot with a gun. It, it is a powerful round and it does damage underneath the armpit, where, whatever it was right or left. Uh, straight through uh, her and out and into the producer. I mean, there is no way in hell that he didn't know that somebody was shot. That is just ridiculous. He is a complete... Pardon my French, but you're an asshole. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Well, yeah, well, as they say, duty run, that doesn't pass the smell test that he was no. standing over her and it he does. didn't realize she was shot. And the guy, Joel Souza has a bullet wound in his shoulder, and he didn't realize he was shot. It was just, you know, I don't know what happened to two of them. Yeah, bullet goes Cole through her and hits him. You know? He must think everybody's a moron because the, the statements that he's making are just ridiculous. You want to die? Yeah, we'll just throw this on here. So, so I went through the first thing, you know, showing you negligent use of a deadly weapon. Then we went to the statute for the manslaughter and read out the involuntary manslaughter. So the next thing is you go to the jury instruction. This is what the jury will be told. So I, I took the liberty to help the prosecutor and fill it in a little bit. Nice. So uh, for, the, for you to find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter <clears throat> as charged in count one, the state must prove to your satisfaction beyond a reasonable doubt each of the following elements of the crime. One, Alexander Ray Baldwin III, he's the defendant, shot Helena Hutchins with a firearm loaded with live ammunition that the defendant failed to ensure was made safe. Now, that's a little wordy for, for a charge, but I just wanted it to be clear. This, this would actually probably be part of this, but I wanted it to be clear, so I put it all in there. So really, I mean, that's all the jury would have to find, that he fired a shot at Helena Hutchins from a firearm that was loaded with live ammunition, you know, we know this to be a fact, and that he failed to ensure it was made safe. Okay, the second element, Alexander Ray Baldwin III should have known of the danger involved by Alexander Ray Baldwin III's actions. He should have known. So where's the proof in that? He's been an actor for 40 years. Yeah, he knows. He's been in so many movies. <clears throat> using firearms and by his own admission during this interview he said 99 percent of the time it would be the armorer 
that gives you the gun. So this is where his admissions are burying him. You know, then you go to three, Alexander Ray Ball won the third, acted with a willful disregard for the safety of others. By you taking a real firearm that he knows is real, and he points it at someone, and during that interview, he admitted that he was pointing at her. Actually, George Stephanopoulos set him up for this. He said, were you pointing right at the camera? He said, no, I was off to the left, right at her, right at her side. He knew, so he knew that he was pointing it at her, and then he says, I pulled the hammer back, I pulled it almost all the way till it was cocked, and I let it go. That's an intentional act. So he knew he was pointing it at her, and he pulls the hammer back and lets it go while it's pointing at her. We know that the gun couldn't have gone off that way because, uh, it, it, I mean, Bill, you had an, uh, an expert on your channel. to John Palin? John. Yeah. Yeah. He, he demonstrated it scientifically. There was no way, and that's why I want to clear that uh, 100% that the gun was 100% operable. So they can't have the defense of saying, oh, there was something wrong with the gun. It malfunctioned. Yeah. yeah. Now, in the official New Mexico jury instruction, the fourth element would be Alexander Ray Bowen III. His act caused the death of Hylina Hutchins. And then five, this happened in New Mexico on or about the 12th day of October 2021. Tell me which element is going to be the hardest. I, I think they're all easily satisfied. And mostly by his interview. These are routine ground balls by Derek Cheater throwing out the runner 100 million times. But, I mean, I don't think any of these are going to be hard to prove. Absolutely incredible. So, you know, Joe, Joe, I wanted to ask you something, too. Sure. Um, what was the motive of uh, ABC News to do this public relations interview with him and be, compl be complicit, yeah, ratings and money, and be complicit with this, this big lie that they told George uh, Snuffleupagus was throwing him uh, beach ball questions and assisting him in, in, a, in a bullshit statement. It's really, it's really disgraceful that the press is as dishonest as the defendant. It's about ethics, oh, Bill, and, and they lack ethics. They wanted to just get him on for the ratings and for the money. They didn't care that he is a potential witness and a perpetrator in a possible crime. They just put them on because that's what the news does. Yeah. They don't give a shit about the prosecution. Let me just end with this one. Hutchins' uh, family. But, Joe, I love you. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me just end with this one part of the story. Oh, the, uh... hell no. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a new toy. I do. So, uh, okay, can you see this down here? Or is this? Or should I make it bigger? Uh, okay. That's what she said. Make it bigger. Yo. <laughs> This is a family show. Right. Yeah, you just you just lost 20 subscribers, Joe. <laughs> okay, manslaughter. This is actually the jury instruction that we just read, right? So at the bottom of that, it says manslaughter committed by a lawful act done in an unlawful manner. Again, he fits all of these categories. Or without due caution or circumspection requires a showing of criminal negligence, conduct which is reckless, wanton, or willful. And then they cite this case, state versus grubs. This is always good to do just to take a look at the case to see what it's like because you want to see if it's something similar to what you're dealing with. So I went to State v. Grubs. 
It's a New Mexico Court of Appeals case. It's an older one, 73. But I went to this case, and what do we have here? Defendant shot and killed decedent with a handgun. There are conflicting versions of the shooting. Defendant claims he had stored the loaded gun <clears throat> in a chair on the previous evening, that on the day of the shooting, he pulled the gun from the chair by its barrel when the hammer cocked. So I, I could see that, right? You pull the, the barrel of the gun, the, the, the hammer gets hung up somewhere, and it ends up cocking. So now he's got a cocked gun, and it says, and that uh, the gun, um, blah, 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 and that the shooting occurred when he was trying to lower the hammer to a safe position. I would say that would be he would be the Baldwin version here. Yeah. The other version is that there is evidence that the shooting occurred in a room where there were several young men that the defendant had been jumped and took a shot at someone. That doesn't sound like a reckless act. That, that sounds like a deliberate act. But the court concluded under either version, there is a substantial evidence of negligent use of a weapon. So essentially they're saying he's guilty of that misdemeanor charge. And that's where they went on you know, to do that discussion of what is it, ordinary negligence? We hold that ordinary negligence is sufficient. It doesn't have to be criminal negligence. I thought that was, you know, yeah. kind of shocking because now it's it's not just gross negligence, it's ordinary negligence. However, upon further review, because I wanted to make sure I, I got this right, we went and I saw there was a subsequent case that overturned this case, and it's this case here, State v. Yarborough, that says it must be criminal negligence. So I thought initially this was a home run because it's simple negligence, and who could say that that was not at least simple negligence not to inspect the firearm himself? But I still think it meets the criminal negligence. So we can go back to you here. Let's go here. Are you on? And then we'll do the video because I think that's important too. We did 7.30. Let's go to two. Um. Got it? Yeah. All right, so I'm going to hit play. You guys are doing great. Guys are there who this have got me, uh, uh, you know, cornered, and they think I'm shot pretty bad, and I'm kind of wilting. And they he's uh, describing they the scene. And the sound outside distracts them, and I then draw the gun out, cross draw out of my holster, pull the gun up like that, and start to cock the pistol. Cut. I'm handed a gun, and someone declares. They said, "This is a cold gun." Dave. This is the significance. Hold on to this right here. We're going to continue. But this is the significance here. This is also his defense. I don't like the way he said it. He said someone declared it a cold gun. The armorer, I think. He's, he's no, it was the assistant director. Yes. It was uh, David Halls. Remember that first clip I played to you that he was instructed, either the armorer or the AD, David Halls, he would give the gun back to. So now oh, the, 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 the first AD in my years on the sets of film, hot gun meant that there was a charge in there and cold gun meant there was nothing in there. When he's saying this, this is a cold gun. What he's saying to everybody on the set is you can relax. The gun is empty. That's what cold gun means. Well, cold gun means there's no charge in there. There could be dummy rounds. A dummy round looks like a real bullet, but it's completely inert. 
It contains no explosive charge. And you were rehearsing that scene. Was it an actual rehearsal? There's some disagreement about that, whether it was a formal rehearsal at that time. This is a All right, we're going to stop there for a second. I'm going to actually move it up because this. It swivels. And she says to me, hold the gun lower. Go to your right. Okay, right. Okay, so wait. We just left the part where he blamed Halls because Halls said it was a, a cold gun. We talked about earlier where he was blaming the firearm. He says that he pulled it back before it was cocked and dropped the hammer and it went off. We know that can't happen. So he's saying the gun malfunction. Now he's about to blame right there. Right there. Show it a little bit lower. And she's getting me to position the gun. Everything is in her direction. She's guiding me through how she wants me to hold the gun for this angle. And I, I draw the gun out and I find a mark. I draw the gun out and I find a cut. And what's really urgent is the gun wasn't meant to be fired in that angle. So if you're shooting directly into the camera lens, you're not aiming. I'm not at shooting into the camera lens. I'm shooting just off. Just off. Right. In her direction. I'm holding the gun where she told me to hold it, which ended up being aimed right in below her armpit. It was what I was told. I don't know. This, this to me is just insanity. You're telling your client to go on national TV and tell everyone you pointed the gun at her. He tried to deflect and say, well, she made me do it. She told me to do it. But he's pointing the gun at her knowingly. And then he goes through the whole mechanics of it, pulling back the hammer and dropping the hammer knowingly. This was not an accident. The trigger, the hammer didn't slip out of his hand. He wasn't distracted by something where he wasn't looking downrange where she was. He, you know, he could have said, I was just looking at the gun. I was, or I was looking off. She directed me to look to the right. You know, he's saying, no, I'm pointing it right at her. This is insanity for a criminal defense attorney to allow your client to do this. He's making out all the elements of the recklessness. So wait, you took a real firearm that was handed to you, not by the armorer, even if you say that was the pattern in practice, it was handed to you by the first AD. You didn't check it. You didn't inspect it. And now you're pointing it right at Miss Hutchins, pointing it right at her. And then he's pulling back the hammer and drops it. Now, remember in that other case, the other case that we just read, Gruggs, he pulled the gun by the barrel, which caused it to be cocked, and then he was trying to safely lower the hammer. Baldwin's not even trying to say I was safely lowering the hammer. He says, I dropped the hammer. So he intended for it to go back to its original position. He's lying when he says, oh, I didn't think it would go all the way. What do you mean? You you intentionally dropped the hammer. But, you Joe, you know, so the only way also for when that hammer's back to that level for it to go forward is to pull the trigger. Yep. You cannot make it go forward any other way. So the other guy, David Halls, Alec Baldwin lied, and he sweared David Halls. So you either have two attorneys telling both their clients to lie so that they can solidify their lie, but it's been disproved by science that, that it could not have happened the way he said it happened. Bill, so, you're so right. I mean, the expert kills him, kills yeah. him. 
the expert kills him. And the only way that it didn't happen that way is a malfunction. And like you pointed out, that's what they do. The first thing they do is an operability test. I got to say, and, and this lying, Joe, uh, Ange, and, and, and Bill, this lying by Alec Baldwin makes it even more heinous. It makes it even more despicable. It makes this whole thing more amplified uh, to everybody and anybody that looks at it. But first and foremost, it's a slap in the face to Hutchins' family. She's got a husband who's a widow, a uh, widower, right? And you got kids who don't have a mother anymore. This is what makes it so on the next level. It's uh, so egregious. It, it really is. And, and as a criminal defense attorney, like I said, the victim has an impact. The yeah. family has an impact. Yeah. Now, they may have been somewhat sympathetic to him, knowing that he didn't intend this. But after this interview, you know, I, I, I just think they're going to go, you know, this guy needs to learn a lesson. He needs yeah. to learn a lot, and they may be more motivated or less resistant to a prosecution at this point. And she's from the Ukraine, and I, I know that uh, the people over there from her home uh, country are, are looking at this, and they're like, why isn't this guy arrested? So the whole world is watching this. Uh, but anyways, Ange and Joe, uh, Bill, I got to go. I got some stuff to do. I appreciate you inviting me on. So I want to say goodbye and good night to everybody. I love this channel and I encourage everybody to subscribe to Allegedly Guilty. I got dinner tomorrow night. I'm paying for dinner. Put that. No. <laughs> yeah, it is the most. Where would you get that? That's <laughs> pretty cool. You know, we, we I thought it was quite a having on. We always use the <laughs> cold cross pollination of That's right. That's right. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I I'm looking know. forward to tomorrow night. I asked Bill. Yo, Duty Ron, the only problem is he got me a large shirt and my 18 inch guns are shredding the <laughs> sleeves of, the, of that large shirt. I got massive forearms. Hey, if you got to whip out your guns, you're going to have to use them. <laughs> don't, don't cock the trigger. Don't pull the That's trigger. Right. Don't cock the. Uh... Anyways, listen. I I appreciate you inviting me on, and I hope to see you guys uh, again on another live stream. But I gotta I gotta go. I gotta go help my son with something. So I gotta. Absolutely, run. Bill. I know you're going on tonight, right? To should we wrap? No, this no, up? no, no. I'm not. All, I'm off tonight. I'm oh, off you're tonight. off tonight. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good night, guys. Good night, Thanks Judy so Ron. much, Rudy Ron. It's always Take a care. pleasure, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow night. Yep. And love and respect to everybody in the chat too. Talk to you guys. Take soon. care, man. Thank you. Take care. You know, Joe, it's the, the thing that I also said that uh, that guy, Joel Souza, is not going to be friends with Alec Baldwin any longer because he's going to want a few mil for that gaping wound he has in his shoulder. And that's, he's going to have to testify in the criminal trial if there is one. And uh, of course, in the civil trial where there will 100% be one. Yeah. I, th I think it's inevitable at this point. Uh, a criminal case. I mean, all the admissions he made, he spells out the crime. He spells out multiple crimes. And uh, it, it's just a perfect prosecution. But with everything he said, you know, he kind of laid out the case for the prosecutor. So um, I, I don't know what he was thinking. And, and also, not only did he lay out the case, but like we said, he insulted, he insulted the victim's family who has an impact on the district attorney. They have an, a definite impact. They're not a decision maker, but if they call the prosecutor and say, you know what, this guy needs 
a lesson. He needs to be taught a lesson. I can't stand how he's now blaming my wife. Yeah. Now it's just shocking. So, you know, Joe, there was a, I had a CO one time that asked me a question, and he said, how did you know that? And said, I said, Officer so-and-so told me. He goes, and he looks at me, he goes, would you stake your career on Officer so-and-so telling you something? And I looked at him, and I go, no, I would not. And it's similar to this. Would Alec Baldwin stake his career and his life on David Hall saying it was a cold gun without, yeah. check, without checking, you know? Also, yeah. you believed him. You risked your life, your everything else, someone else's life because you believed him. I wonder yeah. if it mattered because they said that there were three guns on the cart outside. Was one of those guns for the close-up and one of the guns for something else? I mean... Yeah, I'm starting to wonder, and we don't know these facts, but if there were three guns on that cart, did Halls grab the wrong gun? Right. That's why when the armorer lays out the props, it's that's between her and Alec Baldwin. For him to just grab a gun, not knowing what order. I worked in the theater, so I know, you know, the prop placement. There's a certain order that when the actor needs um, gun A, gun B, gun C, it's in a specific order. Now, if you don't know that order and you're just going there grabbing any old gun, it could be a problem. Yeah, that, that could be what happened. He grabbed the wrong gun. But it's still no. gross negligence. Oh, absolutely. Know? I mean, uh, for, for him, I think he was – I think the plan here was that him and Halls were going to team up against Gutierrez. Yes, I, I, that's exactly what I think happened. But I think, I mean, they're they're going to be in trouble. First of all, in a criminal case, this is what we call a brutal issue. A brutal issue is, and I don't want to get too technical, but every defendant has the right to remain silent. You cannot be forced to take the stand. But similarly, when a defendant makes a statement to law enforcement, like Bill, you took many statements. You can get on the stand and say, well, I interviewed him and this is what he said. Well, Bruton recognizes if you have two or more defendants together, and I'm going to read the statement from Alec Baldwin, and Alec Baldwin is not going to take the stand, you also have the right to confrontation. I, as the, or, or let's just say Halsey or Gutierrez, has a right to confront her accuser. And if you're just reading his statement, she can't cross-examine you. So the court said... Mm -hmm. In a case like that, we want to preserve the defendant's right not to have to take the stand, but also the defendant's right to confront and cross-examine accusations that are made. So they can move for a severance and severance. I mean, Joe, I was just going to say that. Yeah. How, all of these defendants are going to go against each other and, when it comes you know, to saving their own ass. So they're going to be like, Your Honor, we need all of these cases to be severed. Because and then there's something in the defense – we call it blame the empty chair. Now that he's up there alone, he can point fingers at both of them. Right. You can't hurt them because they're not there. They're not on trial. And similarly, they could do the same thing. But they could be called in as witnesses against him. It, as long as they have no jeopardy, like their case is over. You know what I mean? Like you can't compel someone to testify if they have. Yeah, but Joe, if, if, it's, if it's severed, who goes first? That's it's up to the prosecutor now. I'll just tell you a funny story. I had a case where two defendants were in the car, right? My guy was the driver, and the passenger was in the front passenger seat. 
We moved for a severance, and the court had to do it because of statements. So they severed the case. Now, the prosecutor, and I really like the guy. I'm not even going to identify him. I really like him. He said, you know what? I'm going to do the passenger first because the, there were two guns found under the driver's side of the car, under his seat. So he goes, I'm going to do the passenger first because that's going to be a harder case. The guy that goes second has a better shot because he's now going to have the transcripts of what everyone says. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So he did the passenger first and the passenger got convicted. Then I got all the transcripts of all the cops and, and you know, everyone who testified. And I was super prepared for this cross-examination and I beat the snot out of them. I got not guilty. Two guns under the front seat of the car. And you know what? My guy honestly said that he didn't know the guns were there. What the cop said was as he's approaching, and I was questioning him, I said, where was my client looking as you're approaching? You know how you tactically approach a car? He says he was looking at me through the side view mirror. And I said, what was the, the passenger doing at that time? He goes, he was leaning over on the floor uh, towards the driver's side which all I had to do after bringing that testimony out was to suggest to the jury, this guy put the guns there, right, you right, know? Right, right. And because he's not there, I'm not hurting him. I mean, he was done anyway. But uh, that's the difference. When you go second, you get the transcript, so you know what everyone says, yeah. and you find the things that fit best, and you use it. So that's going to happen here. And it's not the defendant's choice. It's the prosecutor's choice. Well, you know, Joe, he made a huge mistake uh, very recently when he said, uh, I've been, by talking to a lot of people, they said there's almost zero chance that I'm going to get charged criminally. And then the DA came out like the next day and says, I don't know where he's getting that from. That, <laughs> that's, that, that's not true. And I haven't made my decision, but that's he's not cleared by any means. That's what she said. Yeah. So I don't know. I, re I really do think when you look at why you prosecute, is there something to be gained from this? Well, yes. Deterrence is always, always important. We never want to see another shooting like this happen again. So to excuse it, make it go away, what message does that send to the industry? Don't worry, guys. We're not going to hurt you. You punish him. You prosecute him. You know, you don't have to bury him, but you you show them. Listen, you're dealing with real firearms, and you make a mistake, we're gonna pay for you're gonna pay for it. That keeps everyone on their toes. That makes sure that people and, and, are, and are an industry an industry an industry that is highly highly critical of everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And then you know the specific deterrence. A guy like you know Baldwin. I mean. You know, all these independent film people, they're cutting budgets and all that. This is going to be a lesson to them. Don't cut safety. You cut safety, you're going to pay for it. So I think a prosecution, in my opinion, is inevitable. Well, you know, he was also questioned about his role as a producer. True. And he, he totally minimized, oh, no, I, I just washed the towels. And I take care of the lunch. <laughs> I take care of the, the refrigerator where all the lunches go. Like, it was so ridiculous what he said. <laughs> oh, you know what? There was a great question. Or oh, well, Alicia B., let me ask. 
Why do you think we are soft on crime with famous or wealthy people? Why the double standard? You know, I, I think part of it is unless they have a record. I mean, how old is Baldwin? He's in his 60s? He's 63, I think. Does he have a criminal history? So yeah, he, of, well, yeah, he's been arrested multiple times, but for things like disorderly conduct, yes, yeah, st stuff like that. There's a whole yeah. compilation of yeah of, of bad of bad behavior. But not, yeah, not so I don't think uh, you know the retribution, the the uh, specific deterrence on him to make sure he doesn't or, or incapacity because he's committing so many crimes. I don't I don't see the goal being satisfied. You know, to go after a guy um, like this in a tragic situation like this, except for that it can be and has been repeated. It wasn't that long ago we had Brandon Lee, you know, and now we have this case. So I think that's the goal that I think uh, to make that statement to the industry, do not, do not cut corners when it comes to safety. If you do that, you're going to pay. So I think in that case, this would be a, a valued prosecution to to make that known and send that message. Uh, but yeah, I, that's an interesting question. You know, I tried to bring that out. I I think you know because he's rich and famous, they're really taking a pause on this. You know, he's going to have a massive legal team, and you know, and then also you got to look at the victim too. The victim has an impact whether or not they want to go forward because they're going to have to be involved. You know, and it's just going to weigh on them. And well, look when uh, when the husband of Helena Hutchins decides uh, what what is it worth for his nine year old son uh, to be reimbursed monetarily for the loss of his mother, and he's going to be he's going to be hunting for bear. Believe me. Can you see this happening? Well, um, Gutierrez Reed, no experience, young. Here, Mister Baldwin, I need you to just take a look at the. Um, this gun. Uh, I don't have time for that. Can you see that happening? I can see. Yeah. It. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah. There was another great question that I want to, who, who was that? That, no, that, question sure. that was pretty good. Yeah. Take this one. I'll take this one from straight out of Brooklyn. Phil Grimaldi question uh -huh. for you, Joe. Don't think live rounds could have been intentionally placed there. Hmm intentionally placed there when you say intentionally placed there you mean loaded or where the armor station is the live rounds i don't what do you think you don't know <laughs> phil grimaldi stumped us wish you were here phil joe do you think live rounds could have been placed there ah. I know that the lawyers for Gutierrez said that, you know, they suggested that somebody may have put live rounds in the in the ammo box. Um, you know, then I heard too. I, I don't want to really spread rumors, but didn't we hear that the they went <clears throat> they went to lunch, they came back, and there was bullets just like scattered on his cart. So maybe from there. Yeah. It could be. I mean, Phil, I mean, somehow a live round get in there. I would hate to think that this was sabotage because that's what his lawyers were suggesting, that somebody oh, – Gutierrez's lawyers were suggesting that very early on, which was yeah. such well, a bogus uh, – If they did it to sabotage him, how did they know who he was going to shoot? 
It yeah. could have been anybody. I don't or, think- or if he was going to shoot anyone, you know, right. maybe they, they just figured it would be another uh, accidental discharge, right? Wasn't there a prior <laughs> movie inspection? Yeah, I think there was. Yeah. So maybe, maybe this was not, you know, the first time. Did we ever get any kind of conclusion about that, how that other accidental discharge happened, occurred? I'm sure there must have been a, a safety meeting about it, you know, some kind of inspection. I'm not sure. I, I just had heard, but I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I would think that, you know, Phil, that's a good point. I mean, we do have another prior discharge, so uh, we got to look at that. We really got to look at that. Kristen Lane, there had already been a person who shot themselves in the four. I, I, I assume you're saying foot. Foot, yeah. I think it's, it's foot. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. Do I we know, know that? Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. But if it is, that's just even more alarming for Baldwin as a producer. I know that he was asked that on the Stephanopoulos interview, uh, and he quickly uh, denied any, you know, active role in anything other than casting. Right. And, uh, he just tried to run away from that. But honestly, he's, he's such a big, you know, player in this movie and the budget as he discussed, because there was some labor issues and he was talking about cutting into his own salary. So he's a big decision maker when he, when he denies that he has any role in personnel, but then they have these, you know, members, union members complaining about he, he was going to go buy a an Airbnb for them <laughs> so they can stay. So don't say you don't have a role. That was another, you know what? That's a great point. That's another inconsistency where he says, I had no role in personnel, but here he's offering to volunteer and take part of his salary to get them a, an Airbnb house. So, you know, that, that, that you, know, you know, Joe, in New York City, when uh, a movie company is shooting on a specific block, the night before, they have a no parking detail. And they hire guys to put up signs and discourage people from parking or tell them they can't park there. Movie companies hire homeless people so they can pay them like nothing. And the law says they, they're supposed to hire a state-licensed security guard. So if they cut the budget there i can't imagine what are they paying a homeless guy oh if you stay here overnight we'll give you a hundred bucks or whatever it is right yeah so there's an example of them cutting uh costs at the lowest level i mean the lowest level and so if they cut you know money like that for a no parking detail and the yeah and the lawyers you know based after the yamet sanguin case all security guards must be state licensed right and they don't hire state-licensed security guards. Bill, Connie Carter makes a point. Apparently, there were a lot of people who weren't happy, so it could have been sabotage. You know, I mean. Well, you know, you, you, attorneys can use that to uh, create doubt. I mean, I don't know. You sort of have to have some facts to that before you start pointing sabotage. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> like someone intentionally put a live round so Alec Baldwin would – how would they know who he was going to shoot or if he was going to shoot anyone? Well, you know, after, I mean, and you had, you and Phil had uh, Steve Gardell on the show. I mean, it was just, these things have already been thought out. And that's why the policies and procedures 
that the industry standard has are there, that the armorer has a safe and locks the guns, takes the guns out. You, you do an inspection. You rattle that round before you put it in. Why are you rattling it? Because the powder's been removed in the dummy round. The powder's been removed, and they put a little pellet or BB in there so that you shake it. You know it's empty. There's no gunpowder. Right, Joe. So, Joe, do a physical and visual inspection. Physical and visual <laughs> inspection, but but she did say she lowered it with six rounds. I think dummy rounds. But so so the way that you can make sure they're dummy rounds is, and I would think she would have emptied it out and said, "Look here, dummy round, dummy round, dummy round." You know, right? You know, to hear it rattle. Those protocols are there to ensure safety. I honestly, after being a cop and carrying a firearm, I honestly can't see anyone, anyone who I don't care if the armor checked the gun. I still want to see that this is safe. Pointing a real firearm. This is a real firearm. You know, I have this nightmare vision in my head. It's haunted me ever since I was a kid. My brother had a firearm. I'm not going to say which one. I have four brothers. He had a gun when we were teenagers. And uh, my other friend happened to be at the house, and he's like, oh, let me check it out. Let me check it out. And my brother said there were blanks in the gun. So he started shooting him. He was shooting him in the butt, you know, like oh, just man. firing shots off. And it, that, that vision stayed with me as a kid because I was terrified that he was going to shoot and kill my brother because maybe there was a live round in there. You know, who knows? You know, so – even as a kid, I knew you never do that. It was I was horrified watching. A, a firearm is one thing you never play with. You never yeah. screw around with. You know. So I can't imagine anyone. If it was a prop gun, like Steve Gardell mentioned, you know they have the the the, uh, the barrels unplugged and they can't use real firearms. That's great. But here, this is some type of antique, and they're on a low budget. Fine, you're gonna real use a real gun. That heightens your duty. To make sure it's safe. Yeah. It's a higher duty because it is a real gun you're using. And I just can't even bring myself to point a real gun at somebody. I just can't do it. So I think that's, I think he's in trouble. That's Captain Joe Kane, uh Joe Kane is eighty-four. Agree, Joe. Right. I don't care who handed it to me. I'm checking the gun myself. And you know what? I may check it twice, right, Joe? I mean that that's we carry firearms. We know what they can do. And, and to make that tragic mistake, not me, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure. So I think, uh, I think that's where we're at, Bill. Uh, Bill, let me just uh, copy off of you. <laughs> We've been going an hour and 23. We like to keep it under an hour here at Allegedly Guilty, but <laughs> the conversation was wonderful. Hey, that's my new mug. <laughs> <laughs> I just got it today. That's a real swell. So uh, we really love having you on, Bill. I mean, you really gave me like my start in this podcast things back in 2019 when I was running for office. So, uh, well, you know, Joe, it's it's an addiction. You're gonna wish you never just started it. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, Phil, Phil Grimaldi's never been the same. He just he, he just. <laughs> Every day he's thinking about what are you going to do today? What are oh, we going to do today? God. You know, that's so fun. It is. It is addicting. It's very addicting. But, but you guys are wonderful, and I'm so well, glad you. that you were able to come on. You know, and uh, not not to mention when I had Phil on, 
right? We did them for the first show. Yes. We had Phil on the first show. It's the highest viewed <laughs> show in our whole one month history. Wow. This was when we witnessed him dine and dash. <laughs> he was he was dining and dashing. Oh, yeah. that's when he ran out on his check, right? <laughs> he, ran out, he ran out on the check. It was so funny. But I love yeah. you guys and I'm so glad you came on. You know, this is a journey we're taking together. So uh so Bill. In the words of the great Bill Cannon, I'll give you your parting words, your last words. Look, I, I, I now let's keep it. To, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know no speech. That's exactly what I say all the time. You're right. You're taking a page from me. I just want to say, look, look, I think that 100% this was an accident, and I wouldn't wish this on anyone, even though I dislike Alec Baldwin. I don't wish this on him, and I, but I think the law has to be followed. And it has to be investigated fully. And if there is negligence in this, he has to be prosecuted. Good points. Ange? Um, I don't know. Oh, subscribe. Ring yeah. the bell for alerts. <laughs> and um, we'll see give you. the video a, 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 a thumbs like. Up. A thumbs yeah. up. Thumbs up. And bring a friend to subscribe, too, because we need some numbers. Oh, we love when you bring friends. <laughs> Families of I see <laughs> Diane B in the chat. <laughs> Diane B, tomorrow night, D'Angelo's. We're meeting Duty Ryan, Diane B. If you can make it, you know, out to the free America <laughs> of New York City is under lockdown. We'd love to have you. But anyway, I, I you know, I know we kid around and we laugh and stuff, but we're, we're talking about a situation where someone tragically lost their life. Their family has been devastated. You know, Helena Hutchins. Our prayers go out to you. This is a horrible, tragic situ situation. As much as I don't like Alec Baldwin, you know, this is this is going to weigh on him, you know, enormously. And uh, he'll have a lot to think about in that cell for 18 months, you know, that uh, put him in this situation. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to to bring to light the defense. I have no interest in going to Santa Fe to defend this guy. I'm not trying to campaign for the job. <clears throat> but being a defense attorney is a very important job. You must have control of your client. Client control is one of the biggest issues. And if you, if I, if my client doesn't listen to me and refuses my instructions or, or my advice, I'm going to say, listen, I'm not the guy for you. We're going in different directions. I need you to go find another lawyer. I don't want to participate in that. Client control is so important for Alec, <clears throat> Alec Baldwin because he's got that big ego. As you saw in that last uh, thing that came out where the guy was taking a picture of him going into the house, he came at him with the umbrella like this guy needs to be grabbed by the collar and, and control. I think the damage is already done. I think a prosecution is coming. And stay tuned. And thanks for everyone for joining us. We will be back. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.